0: have a Bible with you, open up to the Gospel of John. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through this incredible Gospel. And today, if you have a bulletin, you'll notice there in your bulletin are some notes that you're welcome to follow along with us if you'd like. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, verses 21 through 24. John 14, 21 through 24. The title of the sermon this morning is The Best Test of Love. The Best test of love, John chapter 15, and let me start reading in verse 21, and we'll go down through, I said John 15, I think, I think it's John 14, John 14, 21 through 24. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, Father, we pray that this morning you would help us to understand these beautiful, powerful words of Jesus, and I pray that we would understand what it is that Christ is teaching so that we could walk in his truth and walk in the light of the gospel. And so, God, I pray that you would open our ears now, help us to spiritually perk up, and help us to be blessed by the reading and the preaching of the word of God this morning, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, one of the reasons that I enjoyed and wanted to go into medicine to be a physician's assistant was because I love tests. I'm not exactly talking about tests in school, but I am talking about medical tests that are done in order to make a diagnosis. You see, medicine is not built on fiction. It's built on fact. Medicine is not about opinions. It's about proven science. Medicine is not about subjective feelings, but, but it's about objective tests that reveal empirical data so that you can make an accurate diagnosis. And in order to make an accurate diagnosis of an illness or a disease, certain medical tests are performed to prove that condition. For example, if you have somebody with a bad sore throat, you can't assume off the top of your head that they have strep throat. They would technically need to have a, you know, a quick a strep test done or a culture done in order to diagnose that. Or if someone was coming to you with a stomach ache, you can't just assume that they have a stomach ulcer. You would need to do an endoscopy so that you could look inside the stomach lining to see if they actually do have a stomach ulcer. Or if somebody has chest pain, you can't just assume they're having a heart attack until you check their EKG, some of their cardiac enzymes, and even a cardiac catheterization to see if there's blockage to the coronary arteries. Aren't you glad that doctors run tests first to prove the diagnosis before they implement treatment? I mean, otherwise, you might take antibiotics for nothing. You might be taking expensive antacids for nothing. Or what if you had open heart bypass surgery, all for nothing because the doctor didn't do those tests, right? I mean, we're glad that we live in a world that makes sense like that. And when it comes to testing your spiritual life, there is equally logic given to us in the Bible this morning that helps us see where our spiritual health really lies. There is the test of truth, the test of knowledge, and the test of faith. But there's also the test that we're looking at this morning, which I like to call the test of love. I would say that the best test is the test of love in action. How can you tell if somebody really loves God as they say they may do? It's fairly common in our culture for people to say, I believe in God or I love God, In fact, some studies even show that in order to be a president of the United States, you have to have faith. If there was a candidate that said they were agnostic or atheist, they would be less likely to get elected than one who said they're some type of theist. But being a Christian is far more than just lip service. Being a Christian is living out your faith. To be born again means that you have been made spiritually alive. And when someone has been made alive, their whole focus changes in their life. You see, it used to be true of you that before you were born again, that you loved yourself and that you obeyed yourself and that you set your own rules and your own ideas about what life was about. And you were able to do whatever that you wanted. That's kind of how some two and three-year-olds act, right? If you've ever been a parent of that two and three-year-old, they kind of think they own the room. They think they own your family, they think they're king of the castle, and if you take away from them what they really want, better cover your ears, because just in a minute or two, you're going to hear that cry, just roar through the house, right? That's kind of how human nature is. We all love ourselves. We want to obey our own selfish desires, and when we don't get what we want, we complain about it, and we get upset about it, and we begin to just do what we want anyway, because we don't really care. But now that you're in Christ, you need to be reminded today that if you say that you love God and claim to be a Christian, then you've got to see whether or not you pass this test. And the test is this, according to Christ in this passage, who do you love and how do you love them? I mean, in Scripture, we are told that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are called to love God, not to love ourselves and not to love the things of this world. And the test is not just simply saying, do you love God? And the answer is yes. Or did you really mean it when you said you love God? But really, the test is more about can you show it? Can you demonstrate with your life that there really is a genuine love for God in your heart? And Jesus says in our text for today that it is by keeping his commandments. It's by obeying Christ. It's by living outwardly. What you say that you believe inwardly. The gold standard test for being a Christian is, are you walking in obedience to the Word of God? If you are, there ought to be clear fruit in your life that's an encouraging sign that you really are born again. But if you're not, well then, you may need open heart surgery. You may need God to step into your life this very day to remove that heart of stone and to replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God and honors God and heeds his word and wants to walk in obedience to him every single day. The best test of a true Christian is love, and Jesus defines what that love looks like and what that love does. And so this morning, I just want to give you three headings to help us better examine this test of love. Here's the first test. If you're taking notes this morning, it's in your outline. Jesus manifests himself to us. There in verse 21. He manifests himself to us. That first blank little A there is what is the meaning? What is the meaning of this manifestation? Look at verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I want to talk about this word at the end of the verse, the word manifest. Jesus is saying that he wants to manifest himself to us, which means to reveal himself. The word manifest means to lay open to view. It means to make visible God doesn't want to hide from you. God doesn't want to hide his will from you. He wants to show himself to you, and he does so throughout creation, and he does so through the cross, and he does so most specifically through the special revelation of his word. If you want to know God, and you want to know what he wants for your life, then you have to look inside of the Bible. You don't get it just from meditating on nature. You don't get it from just seeing the bigger view of God. You have to get it from Scripture. And we understand that that's what nature really points us to all along. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His handiwork. And then later in Psalm 19, it goes to point to the Scriptures that really reveal to us the heart of God. It is Psalm 24, 1, that says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell within. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. All of these verses are reminding us that in general creation, we understand that God is not hiding anything from anybody. But the general revelation of his creation is not enough to save you. There is also a special revelation of God through scripture. And God doesn't just manifest himself outwardly, but he reveals himself inwardly. God doesn't just make himself plain in his physical work, but he also makes himself plain in the spiritual work that he does with inside of a person. Jesus reveals God to us by what Jesus says and by what Jesus does. He does that work on the inside. You know, this past summer, our family traveled to Washington, D.C. We had a great trip. We got to see all of the highlights of D.C., seeing the Washington Monument and the White House and the Jefferson Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial and the Smithsonian. And you could just go on and on looking at all these incredible places in D.C. But I think one of our family's favorite stops was going to the Capitol itself. You know, the big white building with that iconic dome that has the statue of, of freedom on top. And when you look at it from the outside, because you can kind of see the, the Capitol from all over wherever you are in D.C. is kind of how you can orient yourself. I go, oh, there's the Capitol. There goes the Washington Monument. There's going to be the Lincoln Memorial. But, you know, when you see it from the outside, it's one thing. But our family actually had the privilege of going inside. And not only did we go inside the building, we had passes to get into the chamber of the Senate and into the chamber of the House of Representatives. And on the particular day we were there, there was a little firestorm going on in the House of Representatives. In fact, it got so fiery that Nancy Pelosi got dethroned off of her chair, had to come down to the regular floor, and they put a substitute in her place as they were just duking it out about different things they wanted to say about Trump. And we're like, oh my word, this place is awesome. Look at this fight going on. We got political stuff going everywhere. And all I'm trying to say is just this. From the outside, you wouldn't really know what's going on on the inside. But once you get on the inside of something, once you get into the inner workings of our capital and what's going on with the House and with the Senate, then you understand that, man, there's so much that's going on here. And all I'm trying to say is just a real simple concept here. From creation, you see the outside of God. And from creation, you know that there's a God. And from creation, you see his might and his power. But you can't really see God the way that he wants to reveal himself, as Jesus says here at the verse 21, the way he wants to manifest himself to you, until God gets inside of you. Until you start to see the interworkings workings of God, and you can only do that through the scripture. In fact, the next blank there says, what is the means of... Of this manifestation. So the manifestation is God wants to reveal himself, reveal himself, reveal himself, not just through creation, but through the cross in your heart through salvation. What is the means of this manifestation? Well, I told you the primary uh, meaning of the word manifest at the end of verse 21 is to reveal or to make known. But the secondary meaning of this word manifest is to provide information, it means to make clear, it means to explain. It means to inform. And my friends, that is exactly what the scripture does. The scripture provides the exact information to inform you and to explain to you who God is. The scriptures provide the information needed to make it clear what it is that God's talking about. The scripture explains to us and it forms us of exactly who God is and what it is that God expects of us. Now in grade school... You'll oftentimes maybe go to a meet the teacher night where parents can kind of meet the teacher and learn a little bit more about the teacher and what the teacher expects of your student throughout that class. In college, they get a little more sophisticated. It's called a syllabus, right? And you show up on that first day and the teacher says, hey, this is what I'm expecting of you. And a lot of times we call it syllabus shock because you look at the syllabus and you're like, there's no way, there's no way, teacher, I can read all of this and do all these papers and get it all done. In sports, we call it a playbook where the coach takes the team, they huddle around, he explains the play, this is what we're going to do. Well, for us, the means of revelation of God is the Bible. He shows us himself most clearly to his people through his word. Several years ago, the late theologian R.C. Sproul was engaged in a discussion with a seminary dean over the doctrine of Scripture. R.C. asked the academic dean, what are you... uh, Excuse me. Let me see where I'm at here. R.C. asked the academic dean, what are you so exercised about with the authority of the Bible. What difference does it make to you? R.C. responded, Are you kidding? If you take away the Word, you take away my life. I have nothing left because this is the Word of Christ. If you take away the Word, then you take away Him. Now, I love that statement because it's just a reminder to me that we have to have the Word of God the way that we see Christ is by reading the Scripture. The Scripture tells us that Christ is the living Word. And what R.C. was saying in that, in, that, in that quote is, if you take away the words of Christ, then you're taking away Christ. There is the inseparable relationship between the affection that a Christian has for Christ and the affection that we have for Scripture. I mean, as a Christian, you don't have to look for a sign. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to have a dream or a vision. You don't have to try to interpret some situation as if God's trying to get your attention and communicate himself to you. I mean, I remember when I was a charismatic, I used to look for God to speak to me outside of scripture. I used to think that God would somehow direct me and show me very specific things in my life that had nothing to do with the Bible. I thought that I needed a unique experience with God outside of Scripture in order to really know God and to know what He wanted me to do with my life. But my friends, that's not what the Scripture teaches. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to be really equipped? You want to be ready for any work that God has for you on any day? If you want to be corrected, may you be corrected and trained and encouraged through the scripture. It's the Bible that reveals to you, What God wants to teach you. The Bible reveals to you how God will reprove you. The Bible reveals to you how God will correct you. The Bible reveals to you how God will train you. And you have the complete revelation of God in Holy Scripture. You are equipped for every good work through the Scriptures. Now you may have freedom to apply principles of the scripture in certain decisions that you're making in life, whether you're going to choose this profession or that profession or buy this car or buy that car or take this class or that class. But the principles are all in the Bible. In fact, another way it could be said is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. That passage is saying that the way that you know what God wants you to do, the way that you know all of life and godliness is by knowing God's word. His precious promises or by the way, referring to the Bible, referring to the word of God. He uses his divine scripture to re- reveal to you his divine plan so that that brings salvation in your life And it brings sanctification in your life. And then you can walk in accordance with what you know God's revealed will for your life is. I mean, we just finished a a mini-series on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the whole point of that series was to show us that the Holy Spirit gives us the Word and then empowers us to obey the Word. The Holy Spirit is yet another helper to teach us and to remind us of everything that Jesus said in Scripture. The Holy Spirit does not come in spurts. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, and he's telling you what to do every day. And what he's telling you to do is what the Scripture says. And at any point you say, the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something that's not found in Scripture, then you know that's not the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks the words of Christ. He speaks the commands of Christ. And so the means of this manifestation that Jesus is talking about in verse 21 the means of that revelation, the means of him showing himself to you. He's not referring here mainly to creation. He's not referring here to some type of story of an experience. He's referring to here the manifestation comes through the scripture. You want to see God? You want to know God? You want to have intimacy with God? You want to know his heartbeat? You have to stay in, rooted, and grounded in the word of God. And let's look now at the terms of this manifestation. What are the terms of this manifestation? Your next blank there. You you say terms. Well, yeah, Jesus gives us terms by which we have to follow in order to see him fully. And let me just say here that we're not talking about the terms of salvation so much as we're talking about a deeper walk with Jesus obedience has never and will never be the means by which a Christian is saved. So so we have to understand that Romans 3.20, Romans 5.1, Galatians 2.16, it's all there in your notes. All of those basically say that you're born again by faith, not by keeping the law. So I don't want you to think that somehow that you know God by obedience in a salvific sense, okay? But as a born-again Christian who has been saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, uh, because of the gospel alone, now that you're born again, if you want to see more of God, and if you want to, to see him manifest himself fully to you, there is a condition which is listed in this verse that we must take seriously, and that condition is your obedience. If you obey God, he says in this in this verse, then I will manifest myself to you. And so there's got to be some type of understanding here that obedience should regularly flow from a heart that has been radically transformed by the regenerating work of the holy spirit of the holy spirit obedience is the test of your love and i'm saying it's the best test because it is observable and it is verifiable if you say you love god but you don't obey god then you don't really love god it's not the talking of religion, but the doing of religion, i.e. putting it into practice, walking in Christ's will and in his ways that is the proof of a faithful Christian. Good feelings and desires are useless if they're not accompanied by action. Living and doing are real evidences of saving grace. Genuine faith in the blood of Christ, must always be attended by a loving obedience to the will of Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John. 1 John 2, you'll see this just written out crystal clear. If you're kind of wrestling with this a little bit, crystal clear, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, where he talks about the idea of saying that you love God and then showing that you love God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. I mean, how much more clear could it be? You want to know whether or not you're a Christian? You want to know whether or not that person who says they're a Christian is a Christian? Here's the best test of that love. You say you love me. Do you keep my commandments? Again, it says, by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but he does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He's saying if somebody says, oh, I know God. Oh, I love Christ. Oh, I love church. Oh, I, lo- I love the things of God. And yet you examine their life and they're living in clear sin. Or you examine their life and there's habitual sin in various places that when confronted, that they're not willing to confess, that they don't want to own up to it, that they want to just sweep it under the rug and say, oh, well, nobody's perfect. If that's the the trajectory of a person's life, that's like the person in verse 4 where he says, I know him, but you're not keeping his commandments. And if you're not keeping his commandments, the Bible says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, we understand that we don't obey perfectly, so we're talking about what is the habit of your life, what would characterize your life, and when you stumble, and when you fall, which is every day, are you quick to repent and to ask that person, would you please forgive me? Are you quick to pause in prayer, God, would you just forgive me? I just blew it again. I got angry again. I got upset again. I got got frustrated again would you please forgive me? Because the type of love that we're talking about in the Bible is the type of love that keeps God's commandments. And when you break them, you repent of that because you want to walk close with him. Anything else is not love. To knowingly and to willingly walk in sin is not love. To be selfish and prideful is not loving Christ. To yell at your wife and your kids is not loving Christ. To talk negatively about your husband is not loving Christ. To continue in lust is not loving Christ. To not obey your parents is not loving Christ. To not give regularly, joyfully, and sacrificially to the Lord is not loving him. To not love your neighbor is to not love Christ. And by the way, you can't love Christ in your own strength. This is something that God commands that you do, but also enables you through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in this kind of obedience. And as you walk in this kind of obedience, you show love for Jesus and you show your adoration for him and your worship of him and your commitment to him and your affection for him because your whole life is now wrapped up into, I want to obey the Lord. Not because I have to, to be saved, I'm saved by grace, but because I want to. I love him that much, that he's changed my life, and now walking in obedience is just part of the very clear change that has happened in you. And so part of what John is saying here in verse 21 is that if you want God to manifest himself to you, and if you want him to disclose himself to you, have you ever, you ever been in one of those places in your Christian walk, you're just like, I just want to know more of God. You know, I want to go to this conference because I want to learn more about God. And I want to do this particular Bible study, read this book, because I just want to know more about God. And I would say, amen. Like all of those are ways to learn more about God. But what Jesus is saying in verse 21 is, you want to know me? You want me to reveal myself to you? Do you want to know the inner workings where you're not just looking at me from the outside, but you're able to kind of get into my heart and to see what it is that I'm passionate about? If you want to know me in that way, he's saying, you've got to obey me. And as you walk in that obedience, then he's going to reveal more and more and more of himself to you. It's by you applying what you already know from scripture in your daily life. This means that your maturity in the Lord is connected to your obedience to the Lord. Do you hear that? Your maturity in Christ is connected with your obedience to Christ. Typically we think, well, the Ph.D., Th.D. professor, at masters that's going to be the guy, since he knows so much, that he must be really close to God. I mean, he must be in that tent of meeting, right on the edge with the Shekinah glory cloud, because that guy knows Greek and he knows Hebrew. That ain't got nothing to do with it. You don't have to know a lick of Greek or a lick of Hebrew. Somebody say, "Praise praise God. Praise God. He'll invite you in through a heart of obedience. Every Christian... From the first day you were saved at age five all the way until you die has an opportunity to be in, close, and up, personal with God. But he cares about your obedience. He cares about your desire to know him and your desire to follow him. And if you want to see the intricacies of all that Christ is and have himself reveal himself to you, you need to be walking in a spirit of obedience. Well, one last question I want to ask here is D, what are the effects of this manifestation? The effects of this manifestation are more and more and more of God. That's how simple it is. The effect of the manifestation is you get to know him more and more and more. And I believe this is part of what Paul is saying. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. This is a little bit of what Paul is just sharing in his heart. I just want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And basically, God's saying, if you walk in obedience, I'm going to show myself to you. I mean, it's Philippians 3:7 when Paul said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This means whatever you thought was benefiting you, you get rid of it for the sake of Christ. For Paul, he thought that having confidence in the flesh would make him closer to God. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He had the religious pedigree. But listen to me, he didn't have Christ. And even though he had all this religious stuff, he's realizing, you know what? I didn't have Christ at that point because I was not repentant. And I was not walking in the truth of God's word. In verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." I mean, here in this verse, Paul is saying that he wants to know Jesus more than he wants to know anything else. And everything else is considered as rubbish. It's all trash. It's all dung, according to the King James Version, compared to knowing Christ. Why would I want this garbage when I can know Christ? And the way to know Christ again is being in his word. Look at verse 9. And to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's talking about the righteousness that we have comes from Christ and is imputed to our life, to our account through faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I did not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead i press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus you know what he's saying when he's saying i press on i press on i press on he's saying i'm going to walk in obedience I know who God is now. He saved me. I've been justified by Christ's righteousness by faith. And now I press on, brother. That means I'm walking the walk. I'm obeying every day. I'm putting off sin every day. I'm walking with him every day. And as you're walking with him every day, God just says, here I am. Let me show you more. Come on, keep walking in that obedience. Keep straining for that obedience. You know, there's that balance today in the church about, is it grace or is it your own work? And we understand you're only saved by grace, but you're called to live by straining every day, sacrificing every day in holiness. That's what God calls us to. Now, he empowers us to do that, but you can't just be like, oh, it's just all grace. I got nothing. No, you have a responsibility to press on. And our goal is to win the prize of the upward call. Our goal is heaven. And that's only a gift from God. But if you want to know more of him and more of him, then the effects of that here now is more manifestation, more of Christ showing himself to you. Consider Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Jesus says it in Revelation 3:20: Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. So, in other words, we see that God has a certain desire to be more intimate in that relationship with his children. And so let me just ask you this morning: what is your goal in your Christian walk today? Is your goal just to get to heaven and to bypass hell and just be like, man, my only goal is to get to heaven? Or do you want a lot of Christ? You want just a little bit of Christ and be like, that's enough. I mean, I don't want to be a radical. I don't want to be a holy roller. I don't want to get all into it because I still have this part of my life. Well, listen, Jesus doesn't want to just be part of your life. He wants to be the point of your life. And that everything you do on any given day ought to be all Christ. As a, as a worker in the workplace, as a student in your class, as a member of our community. It ought to be all Christ all the time. And so let me ask you this morning, do you want to just tip your toe into the water, or do you want to be up to your eyeballs in the goodness of God? And all of this is directly connected with keeping his commandments. And so may God help us love Christ by obeying him and keeping his word so that he will reveal himself to you in greater measures. Now, the second thing that I want to bring to your attention this morning is this. Number two, the Father makes his home with us. The Father makes his home with us. Jesus reveals, your next blank, Jesus reveals himself to believers. Verse 22, Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, first, please note that our text clearly indicates that this is not Judas Iscariot, who would later betray Jesus. Instead, this is Judas, who, according to John 14, 22, in this verse, this is a different Judas, not Iscariot. According to James, he was um, he he was according to Luke sixteen excuse me Luke six sixteen he was called the son of James and according to Matthew ten three he's also referred to as Thaddeus just saying it's another Judas all right and Judas's question is how will you reveal yourself to the disciples but not to the rest of the world now last week. We looked at how Jesus said in John 14, 19, that in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And Jesus is saying that after the resurrection, he would make his appearance specifically to and possibly only exclusively to his disciples as well as some fellow believers. And so he says, the world will not see me, but you will see me. And so the answer to Judas's question, he's asking, well how is it again that we'll see you but the world won't see you? The answer to that question is basically Jesus has blinded the eyes of the world to unbelievers who don't really want him anyway and who have already rejected him. Maybe you remember how Christ said to his disciples that why it was that he taught in parables. In Mark chapter 4:11 he said to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, it is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may hear and not understand. Jesus is saying that you don't get to him through intellect. You don't get to him through self-made study. You get to him only by divine revelation. And when God opens up his word to a repentant sinner, then they'll see. Then they'll understand, otherwise it's darkness for them. He says it another way in Matthew 13, 11, and 12. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and and he will have it in abundance, but to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So in a sense, this is what Jesus has been doing all along he has been manifesting himself. He has been revealing himself through his teaching and through the parables and through the opening of the eyes of those who will repent and believe. For the world, which is a reference to unbelievers who have rejected Christ, who've denied the gospel, who follow the prince of the power of the air, Jesus is not revealing himself to them. And so we also see in verse 23 that if you love Jesus, the Father, your next blank, will love you. If you love Jesus the Father will love you. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you love Jesus, the Father will love you. Again, Jesus teaches that the test of love is obedience, that if you love Jesus, you will keep his word. And this verse does not specify who loved who first, but First John 4.19 makes it clear because he first loved us. So it was God who first loved you. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that if you are in Christ today, you can rest assured that he created you, that he called you out of darkness into light, and that he loves you with an unending love, and God's love for you never fails. God's love for you never falters. God's love for you never flounders. It never vacillates. It never wavers. It never hesitates. God's love for you is an undying love. So when he's saying here again in verse 23, if anyone loves him, he will, be, he will keep my word, which we've been talking about, and the Father will love him. Listen, God loves you when you're unlovely. God loves you when you're irritable. God loves you when you're testy. God loves you when you're grumpy, grouchy, and crabby. God loves you, and it's not based on your riches or on your education or your color. God loves you in a way that his love weathers any storm, overcomes any danger, and withstands any hurricane. God's love is not finicky, and it's not fake. God's love bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things and endures all things. God's love is sacrificial. It's exhaustive, exhaustive, and it's propitiatory. God's love rescued you from sin, kept you from a dead end, and it changed you from within. And when the Father loves you, he doesn't abandon you and he doesn't disown you and he will never forget about you. The love of the Father is binding and it's irrevocable and it's unbreakable. And God loves you, because he's faithful, and he's steadfast, and he's trustworthy. And as you keep Jesus' word, you can expect this kind of love from God. And verse 23 not only tells us that God loves you, but that he makes his home with you. Now, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. This is, you got to say this is pretty encouraging. The Father loves you, your next blank, by making his home with you. This verse teaches that both the Son and the Father will come to you and make their home with you. Maybe you already know that if you're a Christian, that Christ lives in you. Maybe you read that book years ago, Christ's Heart, My Home. Right? And you understand that Galatians 2:20 says, Christ lives in me. Colossians 1:27, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3:17, Christ dwells in your heart through faith. Maybe you also know from the last couple of weeks that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, that the Spirit of truth dwells with you and will be in you. But have you ever meditated on the fact that the Father also comes to dwell in you? Not just the Son. We like to say, well, Jesus is in my heart. And we've been learning the last few weeks where the Holy Spirit dwells in me. That's awesome. I'm the temple of the living God. Now we're saying the Father The Father, you can't separate the Trinity. It's, again, just understanding that it's not like God's in heaven, Jesus is in your heart, and the Holy Spirit is somehow all around you. No, all three are in you. Like, you have the Father making his home with you. The Father dwells in you. He chose to make his home in you. And so remember that we got to understand that God dwells inside of us because we're his temple. He takes up residence in us. What an amazing, beautiful truth. But notice there's still some type of condition that he seems to tie to that. And part of that condition is you got to be walking in obedience. And that's where we got to split hairs again between salvation and sanctification because they really should never be split. That's the whole point, right? If you are saved, you will be sanctified in obeying. So if someone's not obeying, they're not really saved. So, God doesn't live in you because you're obeying. God lives in you because you're saved. But if you're really saved, you're always obeying. So, He's just tying those two so tight together that you can never separate them. There's no such thing as I'm saved, but I don't obey. If you're here today and you're like, I love God, but I will not obey this one thing, I just, I'm not going to do it. The Bible says you're a liar. And so I'm calling you today to say, you got to take all of it or none of it. You cannot pick apart the word of God. You can't say, God, I want you to live in this part of my heart, but not this part, this part of this part. That's too radical. That's too crazy. No, no. I I know I'm crazy because I'm a preacher, but he's calling all of us to be radically crazy for him all the time. Otherwise, do you really love him? Do you really love him if you're not willing to give all of your heart to him every moment of every day? And a day with God is better than any day without him. No day is mundane when you think about these truths. You know, sometimes if you've got to spend some time with a special person, maybe you've got an autograph from a special sports player before or after a game, maybe you got to meet one day John MacArthur, and you're just like, oh, man. He signed my Bible. Oh, my goodness. You know, and you just kind of have that buzz kind of walking around the rest of the day because you felt like you met somebody important. You met a celebrity this this summer while we were in New York. Lisa and I were actually on, what's the name of that show, babe? Good Morning America. All right, so we were on. We actually got on the show, Good Morning America, and we saw Barry Manilow. And uh, we were, like, hanging out, like, meeting these people and talking. I'm like, this is so cool, you know. But I'm just saying that all of that is, like, nothing compared to the daily thought of thinking like, wow, like God lives in me. Like I have the spirit of the living God in me. Who cares about Barry Manilow? I don't care about him, but I care about the fact that God lives in me. And when you think about that, how can life be mundane? No day is a mundane day. When you think about that, how can you let your heart get messy when you think about the fact that he's dwelling in you? How can you be defeated when you know that Christ, who is in you, helps you overcome all things? That the mystery of the gospel is now that Christ is in you. What an amazing blessing to know that God makes his home with us. And so now that we've seen that Jesus manifests himself to us and that God makes our home, he makes uh, his home in us, That's just last thought quickly. Number three, the decision is yours. The decision is yours. If you don't love, then you won't obey. If you don't love, then you won't obey. Verse 24 gives us the opposite logic. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Really simple. saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't love, you won't obey. If you're not obeying, it means you don't love me. Let's just say it like it is. If you're not obeying, every moment of every day, at least your heart is to head in that direction. I mean, the positive way of saying it is, if you love me, you will keep my words. The negative way of saying it is, if you don't love me, you will not keep my words. And I'm saying, as a Christian, you have a choice every day. Am I going to walk in obedience to the Word of God today, with His help, for His glory, or am I going to walk in defiance and am I going to walk in disobedience to God's word? That's not only true when you're a child in your own home. You know, I'm thinking about our kids. You know, say, like, hey, kids, I want you to make wise choices today. I want you to say yes to mommy and say yes to dad. And let's make good choices today. Because if you make a good choice, it's going to be a blessing. But if you make a bad choice, it's going to be a, well, I mean, you know what might come, right? But the idea is that in God's, in God's way of explaining to us this morning, He wants to bless, and he wants to give us all of his goodness. He wants to show us all of himself, but you have to walk with him because if you are not obeying him, you're showing you don't love him. And by the way, your last blank is this isn't Jesus's word, but it's God's word. You said I thought they were the same. They are the same. That's the point. The point is Jesus isn't saying, I'm teaching you something outside of God. I'm so connected with God that everything I say to you is exactly what the Father would have me say to you. This is not an opinion. This is not just just something that we're talking about. This is the very words of God. And so the best test of love is about you putting your money where your mouth is. If you say you love God, do you obey him every day? Are you a Christian this morning? Then obey him fully with all of your heart. Are you in Christ today? Then walk in his truth. Then walk in the light of the gospel. Are you a believer today? Then never be ashamed to speak up for Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, then I call you to examine your life in light of this test. You say you love God. Do you obey Him? Because the best test of love is, am I walking in obedience? And if you're not walking in obedience, it may be that you've never really put your faith in Christ. You've never really repented of all of your sin. You've never really come to believe in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, that you too can be raised from the dead and given a new heart and a new focus in life, which is to please him and honor him with all of your life. And so this manifestation of Christ is made only to the one who really loves him. And the proof of love to him is not by emotional displays, but by submission to his will. This is the best test of love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for just reminding us of these truths as a church this morning. We see it clearly here in the Gospel of John and in the epistle of First John over and over and over again. If you love me, you will obey me. God, we don't want to yawn at that thought. We don't want to just kind of say, well, I've heard that my whole life or nobody's perfect. Uh, uh-uh. This morning, God, we want to be riveted in our soul. We want to be changed in our hearts to say, you know what? I don't think I'm really walking in a love relationship with Christ like I ought to be. Lord, I confess my sin to you and I confess my idolatry to you. And I confess my, my hard heartedness to you. And I'm asking you, God, today, I want to see you in all of your glory I really do want you to manifest yourself to me in a way that I can see you with a greater depth and a greater purity and a greater understanding. And so, Lord, we're learning today that that doesn't just mean more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge. It also means that we're walking in obedience to the Word of God. And that as we walk in obedience with the Word of God, that you promise to to manifest yourself to us and to make your home with us and that the Father makes his home with us. And so, Lord, we want to be a safe place in our hearts where you would want to dwell and where you would want to take up residence and where you would would want to commune with our spirit. And so, God, thank you for making us holy. I pray that you would keep us holy, that this week as we just contemplate and think about these truths, that we would want to walk in your light and walk in obedience, and that we would see you to a deeper degree than we've ever seen you before. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.